Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Mindful Narcissist podcast. I'm your host, the Mindful Narcissist. A couple weeks ago now, I was in Galway again for literally just the weekend. Like, I flew out of Dallas Thursday morning, had a layover in Chicago. It took me quite a long time to get there. I got into Dublin at 5 a.m. on Friday. I was there for the opening of Austin Ivor's show, The Earth Dies Screaming, at 126 in Galway. So I got to Galway around 9. My friend picked me up, took me down to Ballyvon, so I got to be in the village for a little bit. Took a nap, a shower, got lunch, before going back up to Galway. Had the opening Friday night. Super fun, really great. I spent all day Saturday kind of working, seeing a couple friends wrapping up things for the show because the reason I went for the show was because there was a publication associated with it that I wanted to facilitate and make sure it got done well um, because I'd been working with Austin for you know the past year plus on this show that kept getting pushed back and pushed back because of lockdowns but the publication was related to the research that I've been doing as a curator so yeah got that all done Saturday and had to catch a a 6am bus Sunday morning got back into Dallas Sunday evening, straight back to work on Monday. Whirlwind, totally worth it though. It was actually quite strange, but also cool to be back so soon after leaving because literally I'd been gone a month and a few days. And so it was kind of fun to just step right back into my old life when I moved on to a new one that is so drastically different and realized that like, I don't, I don't miss my old life at all. I love it. It was super fun to step back into it, but I'm really, really happy where I am now. And I went back, I stepped back into my old life for a second, had no regrets about my current life, and then was able to step back into this one. I don't know, it felt really good. It wasn't weird. It was purely fun. I planned it really well, so it wasn't stressful. And uh, yeah, it was great. But anyway, the point of all that, I was there for the publication, Little Zine, that had to do with my curatorial research. That all started with the residency that I was on um, at Greywood Arts in Killa, County Cork. I got funding for that with the Agility Grant from the Arts Council, and my proposal was on kind of developing curatorial research around the archive and documentation. I was specifically working with Bianca Page Smith, who I've had on the podcast before, as we were going through her documentation of To Can Do, a piece she has had going for you know five years now and has heavily intensely documented has kept everything for in an attempt to you know really actually capture performance art slash dance which is something that's hard to do you know after after the fact because it is something that very much exists in the moment so that was a very interesting way to kind of channel that research i worked on that there was working going through her documentation thinking about what it would look like to create an archive for that We had a lot of discussions about kind of assigning importance to things, who assigns importance to things, what characterized the archive, how those decisions are made, etc. At the end of the residency, there was a performance of Two Can Do, and I curated a small exhibition of archival material in the sitting room of Greywood as kind of the first step towards having, I don't know, bringing that research into actual space it was kind of a practice in me creating an archive like moving from a massive documentation to an archive and yeah that was interesting 
But then for Austin's show, I wanted to have this publication as part of it. And it was going to be a collaborative publication between myself, the artist, and the audience. So myself and Austin have been chatting about this show for about a million years. And so I had been kind of making notes on my own and then of what we discussed. And then, you know, the Sunday before I went, we had a really, really long Zoom call that I recorded. And then I listened to it, transcribed my favorite bits. And then after the show, we went out and got coffee, chatted some more. I made some mental notes from that. So the text of the publication is pulled all from our conversations and none of it, not none of it, but a lot of it isn't really directly tied to the show. It's kind of everything informing the show, but not the show itself, which is kind of my way of experimenting with how we document a show. Because all that stuff surrounding the show, all the conversations around it, like they're important as well. And then the night of the opening, I had three disposable cameras there that we were passing around from all the viewers. It was a really well-attended opening, which made this even more fun. And yeah, we're just letting the audience document the show. And I included those photos, which there wasn't actually a, a ton of because it was a very dark show. And I kind of forgot to mention using the flash to people. None of my photos actually turned out because I forgot to use the flash myself. But um, yeah, so a lot of the photos I think were just pitch black so they didn't even bother developing them when I dropped them off. But that kind of made my job easier because then I actually could just include literally every photo that was developed. That zine I'm really proud of. And it's going to be available to pick up at the gallery just for free. So if you are in Galway and you're interested in seeing that in person, drop by 126 and get yourself a copy. I might be putting out a PDF online in some way, maybe, who knows, stay tuned. But before I get into like a bit more of a discussion of that research I've been doing around the archive and documentation, I just want to throw in a snippet from that last really long Zoom conversation that I had with Austin. So here's that. I was thinking about when I went to college first, the only place I could see things was in the library. If I mm -hmm. wanted to see pictures. If I want to see pictures of things, I want to see myself some, some Michelangelo. I got to get my ass up to the library. And that's the only place. It won't happen anywhere else. Yeah. There's So the, this thing becomes for that. So the library is for serious stuff. You know, mm -hmm. the, the library isn't just a place for casual interaction. You know, there's a little bit, you know, there's a bit of a priesthood about it, you know, and you go yeah. in and you're quiet and you're deferential to the librarian because you want to keep, keep them on board. And, uh, then, um, whereas now, everything comes through the same tool. Everything. The good, and the bad, and the ugly comes through that. And yeah. that's why, you know, people believe all this bollocks that they read on fucking, um, you know, Signal or, you know, all these new right-wing, um, you know, message boards. Uh, because th where they're getting their news, you know, say if they, if they watch, you know, mainstream news, is the exact same place where they're getting all their lies, so truth and lies, it doesn't matter. You can pick whatever yeah. you believe is true, but you don't mm -hmm. believe is a lie. And and I think it's the same with culture. You know, when you wanted to see a movie, you had to go to the cinema. You know, yeah. there was there was decisions and there was volition. Or else, you know, when tapes and DVDs and stuff came in, you had to make decisions and you go and make a rental. And, you know, you stand an extra vision or whatever the, what would the big DVD chain have been in the States? which is gone now. Blockbuster, I guess. Blockbuster, yeah. 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 You know, you go to Blockbuster on a Friday night and 
you you uh, you stare at rows of, of videos for like hours and you make a crap decision and you probably get something you've seen before. Uh, but um, the thing is, you had you had to go and these were decisions. There was a very big de- deci- there was a lot of dis- decision making going on, and you know th- there was a time and a place for doing these activities. Mm-hmm. And reading, you know, the reading was the same. You know, people reading books. You go and, you know, and books and bookshops had a special thing going on. Uh, whereas now everything happens in the same place. So you read your newspapers and you watch cartoons and you consume all your nonsense in the same thing. So it's all equally true and false simultaneously. You know, it's a, it's, it's very uh, it's very Baudrillard, you know. And, yeah. and he's due, he's due a, 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 a resurgence. All these 90s philosophers are due back any minute. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I reckon, yeah, that there's Baudrillard and Lucy Ira Gray, Jill Kristeva, all these, uh, you know, all the post-structuralists. I think that, they, mm. they, they, that there's a moment coming. I feel it. Fashion is already coming. So philosophy follows fashion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, everyone's going around with their high tops and their stupid sportswear. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> definitely philosophy is going to be rolling in after that. Yeah. You know, you know the, yeah. especially Foucault fashion, you know, dressing like monks and baldy heads. It's going to be it's going to be great. About it's time. Going to be great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> With all the intentionality as well, like um, when I was on the residency, the project connected with my research was like, because uh-huh. we can digitize everything. And this is going to be a nightmare if the human race survives long enough for like anthropologists to be looking at our digital archive now and trying to make sense of it. Like, yes, because everything can be digitized. There's no care about what to keep because you can just yes. keep everything you can put it all in the cloud all in your drive like yes. you don't have to find physical space for it like i mean like with the monitors you keep you must have to be somewhat intentional about like how many of these you can hoard because they take up a good yeah, bit space. of space yeah a huge amount of space i had to build a shed for them yeah so yeah, like that stops you at some point at some point yes. you cannot get any more you have to get rid of some to get more but like yeah. the whole time we were working, like, I don't know, day three of working through it, I was like, wow, I wish somehow half of this would just disappear and be irretrievable, but that's yeah, just, impossible. Yeah. It can't always part. be found. It, just, it wouldn't matter what went, would it? Yeah. yeah. It, no, none of it. Like, like there's so much of it. And like thinking of it all as important, it's just like, well, if all of it's important, like none of it is important. Precisely. There you have it. Because there was no decision made at any point. Um, I'm like, I, I, one of the things that I try and instill in the youth is their ability to edit, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, like, you know, like first of all, what we do as artists and whatever your, your medium or, you know, writing or whatever, you know, it's your ability to observe and relay that, you know, observe and describe, observe and describe. And, uh, you know, and then that, that filters into everything. And th- that's why sketchbooks were good, right? Mm. So it's that, you know, sketchbook was, I'm looking at this thing. So for, for, for this hour, I'm not looking at these things over here. I'm not looking at these things. But now I'm looking at everything all the time. I possess everything. And, but the problem then is that everything's on the same plane. Yeah. You know, everything is in this. It's, it's all the same noise. And uh, the, the media that we use to disseminate this, you know, especially Insta, Insta is the worst for it, is it doesn't discriminate. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, somebody you know, doing something very interesting and very specific is the exact same as a cat. It's the exact same. And, you know, and if you're not taking cat videos, you're some sort of arsehole, you know? Like, you know, it, it, and, and, and that's what it is. And um, 
Yeah, sometimes I, I, I don't kind of wonder, you know, why people come to art school. And it's because they think it's cool, I suppose, you know, but it's not, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's a pain at the ass and you've got to learn stuff. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and, but, but that's that's what's good as well. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. But I suppose I'm not being paid to know about it at the moment, so I don't have to worry about it so much. Right. But 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 the, 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 there is, and, and 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 you're right that if everything is valuable, then simultaneously nothing is valuable. You know, and that's what that statement proves. And um, you know, because if if you if you can't edit, well, then it's all just horseshit. It's just yeah. you're just taking up space on a server someplace. You know, I mean, I I, I remember. Um, when I first start, but when I first started using Photoshop, the very old version of Photoshop, four layers, two point five point one, and I was on a very old Macintosh, the old beige Macintoshes. Mm. So you'd the operating system was on the hard drive, a really small hard drive, like ten megabytes or something like that, and then you'd load up Photoshop in one of the floppy drives, you know, the the three and a half inch floppies, load up Photoshop. And the Photoshop wasn't going onto the hard drive, it was going onto the RAM. And you take that out. So if I wanted to save something, and I would have to save it onto another floppy. So that's why you had two disk drives, two floppy drives in older computers. Originally, because they had no hard drive. So you would get your operating system from a floppy, put it into the computer, and it would run on the RAM uh, of it and take that out, you know. Uh, and but, but anyway, the point being is that space for computer stuff was expensive but and therefore it was valuable mm-hmm. it was really really valuable now it was expensive to the point of being exclusive so that, that but it also meant that you'd come up with ideas like say i used to do a lot of four color separations for silk screens so i'd want to make them quite large so i'd have to do cyan on one floppy the magenta on another floppy the yellow file on another floppy and then the the black on another floppy so four actual discs yeah. representing the film files you know that the film printouts i was going to make you know in a wet dark room from these and uh, because it was valuable you were a bit more careful about it and then when digital cameras came along oh, do i have it here do i have to give me one second i'll show you this you'll like this okay. <laughs> oh beautiful <laughs> First commercially available uh, camera, mm-hmm. digital camera. It's 320 by 240 pixels. It's the Apple Quick Take. It's really a Canon camera underneath it. But uh, you could take, I think, 15 or 20 pictures on it. And this thing cost fucking billions. I'm like, mm-hmm. it, was, it was really pricey. But the thing is, you know, that you, know, it, you made decisions in the same way as, you know, when you had, you know, film, you know, you, you, you whatever 24 shots of 35 millimeter you you make your editing as you're going along or mm-hmm. when uh, when i started when i first made films when i was young i was doing it on super eight millimeter so you had to do in-camera edit because you didn't have editing facilities and like editing facilities was just sellotape and a scissors that's what editing was yeah so you made huge decisions whereas like you know like when, when i was out there shooting recently I've got hard drives, you know, everywhere with hard drives loaded up. I don't, I don't know what's on them. I haven't archived them, you know. You know, this except that for every new project, I've got a separate drive. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's just me thinking like an old guy. Like, you know, I need a new book 
I need a new sketchbook for a new yeah. project. But uh, but I, I I think like that's the problem. I, as you say, people you know that that future historians will just look at us. I'm like the whole the, the planet will just be encased in one huge server. You know, um, you know, constantly heating, overheating, and freezing out. Yeah. Uh, you know, like with all this, you know, on 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 um, unfiltered data, raw, raw data. You know, yeah. being being used by by Apple and Google to sell us more shares. Yeah, cool. I think so, I so went yeah. into all of this like this research and thinking about these kinds of things very much like raging against the hierarchy. Like we need yeah. to remove it. Everything should be on the same plane. And like, I think in theory, yes, in theory, like if everything was available and on the same plane, then every, every like individual could then choose and create their own, their own hierarchy of mm-hmm. what's important. I think the problem is that just like when we do that, people don't choose. Well, uh, no, no, yeah, which is why I, I guess we're at the stage, the stage now of um, non-fungible tokens, you know, NFTs, which are just fantastic. I mean, it is like it's the ultimate form of capitalizing on nothing. Yeah, <laughs> it's, there's nothing there, and like all that in NFT is just a certificate. It's not that the picture that has or the the object the 3D thing. Uh, you know, whatever it is, is that the you know it's copyrighted, but it's the certificate that has the blockchain attached to it. Mm-hmm. It's you know which is that's a bit like having that's that's the signature on the piece of paper. It's fucked up. It really is. It's fucked up. Um, uh, or rather, like this, I'm sure it makes a lot of sense to a lot of people. I just don't. I just don't get it. It, it just it sort it certainly doesn't appeal to me. I see the commercial value of it, yeah. and I, I see why people want this, but. Uh, I just can't see myself wanting to make these things. There's got to be better ways of making money. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. <laughs> it is very, like, it's very easily made, like, commercialized and, like, I guess more accessible. Like, I've heard people talk about how the, that kind of thing makes art more accessible. Or even as I've discussed, um, like, the whole plan with the disposable cameras for the opening with some people. And um, the thinking behind it, some people were like, oh, well, why didn't you just do like, you know, create a specific hashtag for it? And then literally anybody could just take pictures, post them or tag you in the stories or something. And I don't know, when I first thought of the idea, it was more like kind of a gimmicky fun thing. Like, oh, people mm-hmm. will think it's more fun to use a disposable yes. camera because well, who's yeah. used one? And, you know, it's been a while and it is a more fun thing, but like, as I then went and like did the actual period of research and have been thinking since then, I'm like, no, no, this is much more. Cause this then it also, it forces people to choose. Cause there's only 24 on a thing. You can't just like recklessly snap a ton of, I mean, you could, but then you'd be an asshole. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> you can't just recklessly snap a ton of photos. And so like, I don't know, it's the line between accessibility and forcing people to make decisions while maintaining accessibility. Yeah, well, and, can, and it is also one of these things where you are kind of throwing it out and there's a social experiment element of it. Yeah. Whereby, you know, people are gonna, they're gonna, people are gonna do people, aren't they? You know, you know that's, <laughs> the, that, that's the thing. So I'm like, I think it's gonna be interesting. There we go. I just think Austin's great. Um, I'm really glad he agreed to do the show and that I got to work with him on it for so long. It is kind of fun that it, 
I mean, it sucks that it took so long, but it's fun that it got such a long time to marinate and develop. And I'm also glad he agreed to let me stick that in this episode. Thank you, Austin. So first of all, listening back at that and recounting my moment of frustration during the residency with the volume of things that had been documented that we were going through, where I was like, I wish this would all just disappear. Just to be clear, I do think those things are important, especially in the context of that project, which sought to preserve performance art in the most thorough sense. It was just the volume that made me start thinking of our ability to digitally document as a whole and set me off in this whole spiral of, is anything important at all? Anyway, so I'm all for like, no objective truth, things being relative and subjective. My whole shtick as a curator is like getting rid of hierarchies. Although I suppose really I've always phrased it as interrogating hierarchies. So I guess maybe I knew myself more the point of it. And I mean, yeah, that is the whole point. I think, like for example, when I curated the member show at ArtLink in Donegal, I thought that was so cool because it was a perfect example of how you can place everything on the same plane, give it the same importance, and present it on as much of a blank canvas as possible for the viewers to come in and make their own connections and construct their own hierarchy of the pieces. Because I mean, that's that's natural. Of course we do that, we assign value to things. I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, I think we should still be flexible and open-minded, but I think it's natural to assign value. I just don't want to hand that to people. They interviewed me when I was up there after the show opened, and I had a whole rant I went on about how curators, arts professionals, people in positions like myself, how we don't hold this special higher knowledge of art that we disseminate to the masses, like of what's of what's good and bad. And I do think that's true. It's not my job as a curator, as an archiver, hand you a narrative, to hand you a hierarchy. I don't think it's possible for me to be purely objective. Of course, I'm always putting things through my own lens. My own narrative is reflected in everything that I do. But I can hone the skill of creating as blank a canvas as possible, so it's as easy as possible for you to see yourself in what I'm giving you to make your own decisions. But again, that's where the problem lies. I mean, like Austin and I were saying, the way that we view everything on our phones, everything is accessible in the same place. We don't have to have all these separate platforms for everything, like going physically to rent a movie, going to the library to check out a book. And I think that really does affect how we view things. I'm actually really specific about what I follow on Instagram because I have noticed how I take things in when that's the platform for viewing them. So I know Instagram can be a really cool place for researching artists and finding cool new art. And also there are a lot of really cool accounts educating about racism and gender and a lot of important issues. But I don't follow much of any of that on Instagram because those are all things I'd like to take really seriously, both art and those kinds of issues. And I know that when I'm on Instagram, that's not really, like I'm not in that headspace, that's not, my Instagram attention isn't the attention I want to be giving those kinds of things. Slight tangent there. Anyway, but also the fact that it's so easy to keep and capture and document everything digitally. It means we don't have to make choices. I think that's a muscle that, like, can be lost. Obviously, I'm not one to talk here. Not one to, like, criticize anyone for lack of decision-making. I have a whole episode early on in the podcast. I think it was the one with the title about the hot priest from Fleabag. Uh, But it's about how I have very intentionally structured my life. So that I have to make as few decisions as possible. So yeah, I'm not I'm not one to talk. And I have my own digital documentation dumpster fire. When I was home, I traded in the MacBook I got straight after 
graduating high school for a shiny new MacBook Air. And because my old MacBook was seven or eight years old, it was considered quote unquote vintage, and I couldn't just use the fancy Apple transferring software. I had to manually transfer everything I wanted from my old laptop to my new one. And originally, I was like, okay, this is a great time to actually choose what I want to keep. But that very quickly became overwhelming. So then I was like, okay, do I just let it all die with my old laptop? But I, I couldn't. So I just transferred all of it. It was all in one big folder on my desktop, still waiting for me to go through it. And a couple months ago, that folder just turned into a question mark, like a literal question mark icon. It's, it's gone. And I haven't bothered doing anything trying to get it back. So like, was any of it important after all? I do have a partial answer to that. There were actually recordings of several conversations that I would love to use in podcast episodes. So I will get around to asking Apple support or whatever if they can help me. But I mean, realistically, if those are gone, they're gone. Does anything matter? Of course, thinking of old things being destroyed feels tragic. Like, you know, losing the Library of Alexandria type of thing. It's a loss. It's how we store our stories as humanity. But just the magnitude we have now. Like, have we created a situation for ourselves where nothing can have meaning anymore? Because we won't make choices? So this is, this is where hierarchies come back in. So the reason archives can be problematic, and the reason who creates or holds them matters, is that whoever controls the archive controls the narrative. The point of interrogation and trying to present blank canvases, etc., is so the viewer can make their own hierarchies, construct their own narratives, and make their own choices. But when we just don't make choices, is it best to just surrender to the hierarchies that were handed after all? Is it actually best for people in positions like myself to just embrace the ability to construct and hand someone a narrative? And just, like, take that responsibility seriously? Like, I, I maybe don't actually think that, but also maybe kind of do. Basically, I'm just having, like, an existential crisis and defending hierarchies after all. I have no conclusion here about anything, so um, stay tuned for further development in this ongoing research. The end. Thank you uh, so much for coming along for another chat. I will be taking the next two weeks off for the holidays, so this is the last you'll hear from me for 2021, on this platform anyway. Thank you so much for coming along for the beginning of this journey, this first, what, six, seven, eight months, I don't know. 2022 is going to get off to a running start with the podcast. I'm very excited about the first two episodes. And then really, like, I've got the first few months planned out, and they're all going to be kind of brilliant. No pressure, Caitlin. You can also still sign up anytime before the end of this month if you want to get in on December's issue of the Mindful Narcissist Zine. I'm very excited about this one. I took a walk around my new town with a disposable camera because I am now addicted after the opening um, of Austin's show. And this issue is all of those photos with found text, and I'm just really very happy with it and excited about it and I want to share it with more people. This is the first one where I'm like, I want people to see this, so I'm being a little more obnoxious, like, plugging it. Even if this month is the only one you sign up for and you end after that, I think it would be worth it. You can also sign up to be a general patron if you just like the podcast and want to offer some support but not receive a zine. Both tiers are 4 euro fifty or 5 US dollars, 
and the link is patreon.com forward slash the mindful narcissist you can follow me at caitlin w for daily mindful narcissist content and reminders and announcements about the podcast as always like share view all that good stuff and my dms are always open see you next year Mwah.